I don't know about you, but I need reminders in my life. If I did not have reminders, I would not remember anything. That's how bad my brain is. So my phone, my phone reminds me of appointments. So I, I was at the spine clinic this week and, and they scheduled me up for PTs, like three weeks of PT all at once. The doctor put it in and then all of a sudden my phone just exploded with alerts. It was like it was playing Christmas carols. Ding, 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 ding. Every appointment all came in at once. But if it weren't for my phone, I would totally forget that I had those appointments. Facebook, thank you, reminds us of our birthdays. Wonderful, thank you. <laughs> and like, wait, what was my, what's, what's my wife's birthday again? No, but what, who are the, remember the days when we actually used to have to remember people's birthdays ourselves? Terrible. Well, thank you to Facebook, we never have to even remember our own birthday anymore. Okay. My hairline, my hairline re reminds me that I'm going to be 49 in a month from now. Now, see, I, I don't look at this, I don't look th at this as a receding hairline. I look at it as evidence of a once great civilization. <laughs> and lastly, lastly, like, and for everything else, I have my wife to remind me. Because without her, I would not remember anything. And, you know, and see that, like, we need reminders. Life is just too crazy and we're too scatterbrained. We need reminders in our life. We also need reminders in our faith. And that's what's so powerful about stories. Stories remind us of things. And over the last three weeks, we've heard some amazing stories of God moving. These God stories from people. And, and if you haven't been around, jump online, jump Facebook or onto our website and, and listen to some of these stories that are a part of this series. Because see, stories remind us that God is powerful and present. Stories remind us that God is at work in the lives of normal, everyday people. It's not just pastors and super Christians. And stories remind us that hope, healing, and growth are real things here at River Life. They aren't just good-sounding ideas that sit in the mission statement on a wall. They are very real in the lives of the people sitting around you. Stories are good. Stories are important. And stories remind us of some amazing things. So as we wrap up this series on our last week, I've, I have one more person who, who is going to share a story with you. And as you, as you hear, be reminded of how God works every day in the lives of normal people. So why don't you come on up? My name is Saw, Saw Moad. This is my story of something that God has been teaching me lately. So within the last two, three to four years, I have been struggling with my identity as a man. Am I, these, these are some of the questions that were in my mind. Am I the kind of man that I think I am? Or am I the kind of man that others think that I am? Or am I the kind of man that I think that others think I am? Or am I the kind of man that I actually am? Or trying all those things. Um, because of all of these, all of this, I was spiritually, emotionally, and physically disconnected. 
in all aspects of my life. I would lash out in anger over every little thing. Every little thing triggered me. Um, I would shut down, put off responsibilities and commitments, which usually doesn't happen to me, if you know me. I struggled with my marriage. It was the hardest year of my marriage. I struggled with my relationship with others, and I also struggled with my relationship with God. In the end, I felt like a failure. I was ashamed. I stopped moving forward, which led me to dig myself deeper, drowning myself with this same feeling and actually believing that I am a failure. I felt that God was far away from me. I was angry at God because I was not feeling this joy that he promises. But then through close friends, circle of friends, mentors, I learned that I was actually not aware of many, many deep wounds in my heart from my past. And I didn't allow God to heal me. I just buried them thinking they would never come back again. I did not know how to completely be transparent with my emotions to Lonnie, she's my wife, my family, my close circle of friends, and even to God. I wanted to reconnect with God, but I felt so distant from him. I feared to bring these wounds to God because I knew it would hurt if I dug those emotions and hurts out again. I did not want myself to experience those painful feelings and allow God to heal, more so experience those painful feelings. The process of healing really hurts, and I was really fearful of it. A big help during this time was at a men's retreat that I was not planning on going, I was not planning on being a part of, and even tried to get out of, but I went anyways. I did not know anyone here besides four people. During the retreat, a friend led me in prayer and invited me to be transparent directly to God. Hey, stop sharing me your feelings. Why don't you tell God what you're feeling? These feelings were my feelings of inadequacy as a man, just my anger, my frustration, disappointment, hurt, and pain, and confusion. In prayer, I spoke with a level of honesty to God that I don't actually normally do with him. I thought he just knew. He didn't need me to tell him. I told God how I felt like a failure as a husband, as a man, a lousy friend, a bad leader, a bad son for my family, even a son to him. I expressed to God for the first time how I felt that he was really far from me, that I was really upset at him. In the moment, I was reminded by what was taught at the retreat regarding King David's life and how he was deeply transparent in many psalms he wrote in the Bible. Psalms 20 was one of the examples. It was one of those many transparency moments from King David, the feeling of being forgotten by God. But calling out to God and trusting that God will answer. King David, he was not a perfect man. If you read in the Bible, you can see that. But he leaned into fear and shame towards transparency to God and to others who called him out and continually found his identity in Christ. 
It was the fear and shame that locked me and froze me up about being transparent and knowing my identity in Christ to not rely on my own strength, but to trust in him. It allowed me to grow deeper and more intimate with God, with my wife, Lonnie, uh, with my friends. Also, as a result, I committed myself to connect with a couple of other men in my life in the daily pursuit of putting our identity in Christ and having a deeper transparency with each other, even deeper than I anticipated. I realized that I am not alone in struggling and fighting to find out, to learn how to be the man that I am already in Christ. It is a daily battle, and it's not meant to be fought alone, I learned. I tried fighting it alone for the longest time, but with many others. As King David proclaims in Psalm 20, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. That's an amazing reminder remember that some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, some trust in their intellect and their strength, their wisdom, their money, their family, their clan, their reputation. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. The reminders are critical. And that's what this series has been about. And we've been reminded of some pretty deep things about God throughout this series. But there's one thing that we haven't talked about yet. There's one more thing that we need to be reminded of because it's an important one. Because you see, this one thing, if we forget this one thing, it can derail our whole faith. If we forget this one thing, we can become the type of Christian people don't want to be around. And if we forget this one thing, we can completely miss out on the mission that God has for us here on earth. Now, I'm going to tell you what this one thing is, but not yet. Because first, I, I, I want to back, backtrack a little bit and go back to biblical times, and particularly to the city of Ephesus. So this was a city in modern-day Turkey. It was a coastal city. It was a wealthy city. And, and in around 52 AD, the Apostle Paul planted a church, just like my wife and I did five years ago, just like Jimmy is in the process of doing. The Apostle Paul planted a church. It was around 52 uh, AD. He planted a church in Ephesus of, of this new movement of followers of Jesus. And Paul, along with his protege, Timmy, Tim, Timmy, uh, Timothy, <laughs> hey, that's how close I am with God. He's just Timmy to me. <laughs> so Timothy, uh, Paul was training him up. And so Paul and Timothy stayed there, stayed there for two years, growing and nurturing this body of believers. And then Paul moved on and left Timothy there to pastor the church. Well, it didn't take too long for the church to start to have some problems. And, and th th there were some false teachers 
who got into the church and started teaching some things that were against what Jesus Christ talked about. They started putting Old Testament requirements onto the church to say that to really be a Christian, you had to do these certain things that were part of the, the old way of relating to God. They started, they started concocting these elaborate myths based around genealogies from the Old Testament, stuff that was, that was unbiblical and untrue. And, and word got to Paul about this. And he was concerned because this was a young church. So he wrote a letter to Timothy to help him and to help him deal with this, these issues in the Ephesian church. And then to have him read to the church itself. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at a passage. And this passage contains the answer to what is that one thing that we haven't talked about yet in this series that is so important it could potentially derail your whole faith. Because that's what was happening in the church. Their brand new faith was being derailed by some bad ideas, some untrue things. And so Paul writes a letter. Um, in the Bible, it's known as 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. And so we're going to look at uh, 1 Timothy here. But Paul writes a letter telling Timothy that the true gospel leads to practical visible changes in a believer's life. That's one of the ways that you know teaching is true and biblical, is it leads to practical, visible changes in a believer's life. And that's a theme all throughout this first letter that he wrote to, T to Timothy. Um, and see, and that's why this is true. That's why for us at River Life, growth is part of our mission. Transformation is one of our core values because it is fundamental and essential to the gospel. And so that's, and, and Paul knew that, so he wrote about it. We're going to look at one section that, where he talks about this idea. And so this is out of 1 Timothy, so the first of the letters that Paul wrote, in the first of the chapters. So he jumps right in and hits this really, really important piece. Uh, but before we begin, I wanted to find two words that we're going to see here. We're going to read a couple words here, and, and this is important for us to know what these two words are. And if you've been around churches at all, you've probably heard these words, but you might not actually know what they mean and what the difference between them is. They're mercy and grace. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Sorry, we lost a word on that slide there. <laughs> is getting what you don't. Just fill in the blank. <laughs> so mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Okay, so listen for those two words as a part of this passage. Let's go ahead and start. Um, oh, before we do that, stick on that slide for a sec. So, I'll give you an example to help you understand this. So, let's say you go to traffic court for a speeding ticket that you didn't pay. You forgot about it, and all of a sudden you have to go appear before the judge. Now, you're charged 150 bucks now, and court fees and all of that. Now, mercy would be the judge canceling the fee. See, you deserve the fee. You didn't pay the ticket. You deserve the fee. Mercy is the judge canceling the fee. That's mercy. 
And grace, now that's different. Grace is the judge coming off the bench, taking off his robe, pulling out his own wallet, and paying your fee. That's grace. You deserve to pay your own fee. You don't deserve for someone else to pay it. So that's mercy and that's grace. Okay? So listen for him in this passage. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So we'll pause there. So there's Paul's testimony in two sentences. Right there, in two sentences. Now, so, and when he says he was a blasphemer, now that's a, that's a good old-fashioned old church word, blaspheme God. What it, what it means is to speak against God's name, to defame God's name, God's reputation, God's identity. And it is pretty much one of the worst sins that, that, that the Bible talks about is blasphemy. And when he says that he was a, a blasphemer, uh, he's not exaggerating. He was actually one of the biggest enemies of the early church. Before God got a hold of him, he was known throughout the province as an enemy of the church. He would hunt Christian da Christians down. I'm, we're talking full Liam Neeson style here. He would hunt Christians down to get them arrested. He would vote to execute Christians when they were on trial. He was feared. He was violent. And he was an enemy of the church. But he says, God had mercy on me. God had mercy because he, like Paul deserved to just be killed. God, I don't think anyone would have blinked if God had just killed Paul. But he didn't. That's what he would have deserved. But God had mercy on him and instead saved him. And God, so, so God didn't give Paul what he really deserved. But God didn't stop there. He extended grace to Paul. And Paul described it as pouring out faith and love in Jesus Christ. Paul didn't deserve faith and love. That's why it's grace. That's why it's a gift. But God poured it out onto Paul, just like God pours it out to every one of us today. His love, his forgiveness, his faith. God still pours out today. Now, then Paul transitions into the most important sentence in this section of his letter. The most important sentence, and here it is. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. I love this line. This should go down in the history of great one-liners. May the force be with you. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. 
You killed my father, prepare to die. And Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. It's an amazing line that he says, this is a trustworthy saying. Deserves full acceptance. So how do you feel about this saying? Do you trust this saying? Do you accept this saying? This is, this is, this is it. This is what the gospel is. This is what church is. This is what Christianity is. That God sent Jesus to save sinners. And I'm the worst of the bunch. See, we like the first part, that God saves sinners. We don't like so much the second part, that I'm the worst. We spend a lot of our energy trying to convince ourselves and other people that we are better than we really are. We try to puff ourselves up with possessions, with our bodies, with our, with our reputation, with our jobs, with our money, with our friends, with our hobbies, with our social media. We spend so much energy trying to convince the world that we aren't the worst of sinners. And we try to convince everyone else and we try to convince us. We try to convince ourselves. And we, we, we puff up all of these things. We ignore the bad things we've done. We rationalize them. We justify them. We just ignore them. And instead, we put our focus on the little scraps of good we manage on pulling off now and then. But Paul, he was under no illusions of who he was and who his past was. He couldn't deny it. He couldn't explain that away. That's one of the reasons why AA meetings are some of the most welcoming, accepting, honest, refreshing places on the planet. Because when your life's been destroyed by alcohol and your relationships have been killed by your drinking, you got, you got nothing to hide. No pretense to put up. But before we hit rock bottom, we work really hard to keep that facade up. Paul didn't bother. He said, I'm the worst of the bunch. I am the worst of sinners. And then in case people missed it the first time, he repeats himself the next verse. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. I love that. Do you know that Jesus Christ has immense patience for us? The fact that you're still breathing and God hasn't destroyed all of us demonstrates how much patience God has with us. Immense patience. See, Paul knows the power of story. 
story is a verbal example of the immense patience Jesus Christ has, had on Paul and has on us. And he says this immense patience, this grace, this mercy is given so that people who don't know Jesus can know Jesus. Your best evangelical tool, your best evangelism is a transformed life. Let me say that again. Your best evangelism is a transformed life. The worst thing you can do is to have a life completely unchanged by Jesus Christ. That is why so much of our world has such a negative view of Christians and Christianity. It is because so many of us are untransformed by Jesus Christ. See, I've got some bad news for you. Nobody is impressed with God because you come to church. That doesn't get anybody's attention. Okay? Or nobody is, is wowed by God, wants to learn more by God because you prayed before a meal with your coworkers. Doesn't even really make an impact to hear when you try to, to help the poor or feed the hungry or fight for the rights of immigrants. Because our world is filled with people who do that. But you want to make a difference? You want to make an impact? Allow God to transform your life, to change you from selfish to loving, from aggressive and violent to peaceful, from judgmental to forgiving. Now that'll get people's attention. That'll blow people's mind because that is something our world cannot do. But God can. God can transform you into something that is completely different than who you are right now. Can transform you into more like Christ. Our world cannot do that. And that's why people are blown away by testimonies. That's why people are blown away by, by, by transformed lives. Not just telling people you're a Christian or that you go to church. And that's what Paul is reminding Timothy of. That's what Paul is encouraging the church to remember. And that's what I'm here to remind you of this morning. Now, there's a, a wonderful, amazing consequence that happens when you start to orient your mind around being transformed by the love, grace, and mercy of Jesus Christ. You worship. You say thank you. You realize how good God is when you admit how messed up you are and that God still loves you and God still uses you. You realize how big and how wondrous and amazing God is, and so you worship. And that's how Paul closed this paragraph. With an amazing statement of worship. Here it is. Now to the king eternal, immortal, Invisible, 
the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Now, some of you might, might recognize this verse. If you grew up in a church that had some liturgy, you might recognize this. This is a very famous line. It's called a doxology. And a doxology is kind of like a one-line worship song. And this is actually one of the most famous ones in the New Testament. And churches all throughout history have recited this as part of their singing and as part of their worship of God. So I thought we'd do that today. We don't have a whole lot of call and response liturgy around here, but I thought this would be a good one for us to do. So if you want to be reminded of this today, let's go ahead and read that out together. Now to God, now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And feel free to add however many forever and ever's you want to remind you how long forever and ever is. Now, if we look at this passage as a whole, we see how Paul viewed himself and how he viewed God. See, here's some phrases that Paul used to describe himself. Blasphemer, persecutor, violent man, ignorant, unbeliever, worst of sinners. And here are some words and phrases that he used to describe what God's done through Jesus Christ. Gave me strength, considered me worthy, trustworthy, appointed me to his service, showed me grace, poured out grace, gave me faith and love, showed me mercy, showed me patience. God gives so much mercy, I didn't include it twice. <laughs> Paul had a really healthy view, a really healthy balance of how he viewed himself and how he viewed God. And from this we learn the great truth about story that we have to remember. Your story reminds you of your sinfulness and God's salvation. Your story reminds you of your sinfulness and God's salvation. You see, every time you failed, every time you've been a lousy Christian, You've missed one of those two things. You've missed your sinfulness. Or you've missed God's salvation. See, when you forget your sinfulness, you become prideful, arrogant, self-righteous. You judge and criticize others. When you forget your sinfulness, you focus on other people's sins rather than your own. You justify or rationalize away your sin, your anger, your drinking, your porn habit, your sexual activity, your lying, your spending. You tell yourself that it's not a problem 
or that it's not a big deal or even that it's not a sin. You, when you forget your own sinfulness, you turn yourself into a hypocrite and a lousy Christian. So that's one mistake you can make. But now you can go to the other side. You can make the other mistake and forget about God's salvation. When you forget about God's salvation, you go one of two ways. Either you try to save yourself. You tell yourself, if I only try harder, then God would forgive me. I need to pray more, read my Bible more, go to church more. Then I'd be a good Christian. You start beating yourself up when you fail because you are responsible for saving yourself. That's what happens when you forget God's salvation. Now, the other way you can go, the other way you can go is you just give up entirely. Someone like me doesn't belong in church. I should just stop going. Or if God really knew what I'd done, he wouldn't love me. And these people in church definitely wouldn't love me. So I should just give up. You try to save yourself or you just give up. And either way, you lose. You lose out on this wonderful, unbelievable gift, free gift of salvation that God gives in Jesus Christ. And you lose out on it. So what have you forgotten today? See, this is a difficult tension to hold. Your sinfulness and God's salvation. It's hard. So we lean toward one or the other because it's uncomfortable to hold both of those. So where are you leaning today? What are you forgetting today? Are you forgetting about your sinfulness? Or are you forgetting about God's salvation? Today, God is inviting you into both. He's inviting you to hold on to the tension and not pour yourself into one or the other. God is inviting you into a balance that Paul held really well. And you see, in doing so, as Paul did, God took the ultimate sinner and turned him into an ultimate saint. God took the greatest, his greatest enemy and turned him into his finest servant. And if God is patient and gracious enough to save Paul, he is patient and gracious enough to save you. Join me in prayer. God, thank you that you are patient with us. Thank you that you are patient with me in all of my insecurity, in all of my fears, in all of my self-reliance. You are patient as I try and fail and try and fail. 
and you are patient and gracious with everyone here. Help us to remember that. Help us to remember our sinfulness. Where we could say like Paul, I am the worst of sinners. But help us to remember your great and glorious salvation. That we are new creations in Christ. That in you we can be whole. We can be repaired. We can be healed. We can be where we were meant to be. Thank you, God. Help us all hold that tension and sit in a place where we are reminded of our sinfulness and we are reminded of your salvation. And God, I thank you that you love us, not for anything that we do, but exactly for who we are. And in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray.